up and welcome to the Temple of Blair episode N. Uh, this is another one with Metal Mike, so it's Metal Mike Part 2. This one's a little bit more laid back. I wasn't focusing so much on the business side of Roadrunner Records as I tend to do. I focused a little bit more on the music. It was a little bit more of a knees up. Maybe we should have had a beer or something at this one. Um, but yeah, we kind of chronicle some of the bigger movements that uh, pertain to Roadrunner Records over the 90s is kind of where we focus on, but we pull on all the threads and we talk about certain stories that Mike's got that take you all over the place, 80s, 90s, noughties, uh, up to the recent days. So hopefully this is part two of three, um, and hopefully it will happen upon more of those noughties years before Roadrunner is bought out by Warner. But nonetheless, I hope you enjoy this one. In the meantime, check out Ard Shock. Mike's Metal Magazine, which is a, a monthly magazine akin to Kerrang! and Metal Hammer, the top-tier journalism from the centre of the web of metal himself, Metal Mike. So, without further ado, one, two, fuck shoot up. Well, you got me here. Yeah, man, I got you. Um, so last week, I focused a lot on the business side of Roadrunner. Um, and as you said, you're kind of more, you're more of a music guy, even though I got loads and loads of information from you. So what I thought was I could, uh, come back at you with a lot more broad spectrum. Okay. No problem. Um, and when we took it a thread, um, cause obviously you as we've said, you're in the, you're in the web of all things metal. We can just keep tugging and telling stories. We don't have to worry about, um, sticking into a too, too focused, a through line. So, um, Okay. Yeah, man, I'll jump straight into it. So we got into we got into the eighties quite a bit. Um, yeah, and what and what Roadrunner was doing in the eighties and things and things like that. So when the nineties hit, where are you at this point? Is this where Ard Shock and Metal Hammer in Germany have made their? Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, operation? I worked in the uh, office Roadrunner eighty six and eighty seven, and I think beginning of eighty eight, I left uh, the office. Um, Still doing some A and R and PR for the label, but um, I left because, for example, Master of Puppets came out, eighty seven, eighty eight, and I would write eighty six. Okay, I would write in my magazine that I like Master of Puppets of Metallica, mm-hmm. and Roadrunner, you know, distributed it or licensed it for Benelux and Gas for Germany, Austria, Switzerland. And I would write, I like the album, and then people would say, you know, yeah, because you work for Roadrunner, Roadrunner, put it out. I could make a di- I could, um, I knew what I could write as a writer and also as working for the label. I could separate that, but readers couldn't separate it. So whatever I was writing, they were always biased what I was writing if it had to do anything yeah. how far-fetched away anyway with Roadrunner. So I thought, well, and I had, I mean, the magazine grew bigger, bigger. I mean, let's say 1988, I think, was the biggest year in rock and metal of the last, whatever, 50 years. Because you had the number one and two band worldwide were Guns N' Roses and Metallica. And then they even toured together that year, I think. Mm. So so the mag- I'm, I was really busy with the magazine and doing a lot of stuff. So... I uh, didn't work for Roadrunner anymore. Not not in the office. Let's say sitting in the office and do physical work for them. I still went to meet them like every January. I did that until nineteen ninety ninety one maybe. So, so 
it was so people thought it might have been a conflict of interest if you were writing about bands which Roadrunner was associated yeah well they made it into a conflict of interest where I could you know I I could you know I could have the two worlds apart easy but Hmm. so but hey Hey, they 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 thought I was biased I thought okay no problem I'm gonna leave Roadrunner no problem (laughs) I did make a lot of money anyway I mean the, the money I made there was just enough to to pay the the high rents you have there in the Amsterdam area rates are renting rates are like triple four times the or you know quadruple what I was back home in the, in the area of Eindhoven so so every money I made with Roadrunner you know went straight just to pay you know to stay yeah. somewhere yeah so yeah. I was I didn't I didn't feel sad about that one how did Case feel about it? Did he think, oh, shit, we've lost an asset here? Obviously, you were still no, doing well, things for he never, him. He never voiced it to, uh, towards me, so I never heard anything about it. I mean, we still stayed in contact and stuff. But, you know, Monty uh, became more important there, signing all those n- nice, new, interesting bands like Type of Negative, Machine Head, well, Sepultura, Obituary. Yeah. So he uh, he signed a lot of bands. Um, I think in 86 or 87, I signed... No, 86. I signed Crimson Glory to them. Yeah. It was one of my later later signings on the label. Yeah, I've been pulling together a spreadsheet of all the, the bands which, and all the albums which Roadrunner put out, not distributed, but where they signed a band and like invested in the artist. And there's like, oh, from 1983 to 2012, when the, the takeover happened, it's like 480 albums that were put out. It might be a little bit more or less, but sounds like uh nuclear blast almost nowadays. Um, yeah. You think it was like, um, throw it against a fan and see what sticks. A lot of the time. Yeah. I think when Monty came on, it was, um, I think case realized he had an expert and the same with you. Cause there's a, there was, there's a, a th- there's a through line trend of what they were doing in certain, in certain areas. Like in yeah, we rejected a lot of stuff in the, yeah. in the way back. And then maybe uh, later, you know, they want to just keep the numbers going, release-wise. Yeah. Well, this actually leads on to my next question, which I think was quite poignant. So when the Black Album hits and when Nevermind by Nirvana hits, um, obviously the scene changes and there's a lot more of a mainstream appeal to rock and metal. Yeah, How everybody's that... moving towards Seattle, right? Yeah, yeah. How did that affect you as like uh, as... As working in the press at that time, and as a as a metalhead yourself, did you think, oh, this is this is just another fad? Mm, I, I think Roadrunner signed Grunt Truck. I think that was their Seattle uh, Roadrunner's Seattle band. They tried to uh, take a piece mm-hmm. of the gr- uh, grunge cake. Mm-hmm. Um, well, a lot of I mean, it killed uh, all the let's say the American. Um, chicks with dicks, whatever you call it, the, the long hair metal, the the glam rock, yeah, uh, glam, glam metal, and yeah, but, uh, it killed that whole scene. <clears throat> I mean, that was a pity because I I was uh, across the pond uh, a lot of times, and that was always you know party time. You go to shows with a lot of people, and all that stuff got killed instantly. I mean, it was a good party time with those shitty bands, okay, but. Uh, <laughs> But it was a good thing, you know. You went with a lot of people going there, and the girls had were dressed up really nice, you know. Uh, and the guys maybe too, but I, I didn't belong exactly to that scene. But there was a lot of 
clubs, you know, having those bands. I mean, okay, in Florida, some bands still locally did really well. I think like Stra- Stranger or Zebra, uh, Auto Drive. Those were those glam bands who could survive locally playing in the same clubs five days a week kind of thing where they uh, did maybe one set, 45 minutes of home material, and then four sets of 45 with covers. Yeah. So s- some of those bands could survive, but uh, a lot of bands, no, didn't make it. I mean, I was, I don't know, I have to think when this was. I flew into Florida um, to see a band in, in uh-oh, was it West Palm Beach or Hollywood or Hallandale? It was the called uh, Button South was the club called. And it's uh, in the area of uh, Fort Lauderdale. So it must be a Hollywood or Hallandale or, in, well, in that area. It's it's all next to each other. So I'm not sure what town it was. And I went to see a band called Saigon Kick and also to interview them the next day. I don't think they were on Roadrunner. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Um. I know that, not and I met that night at the bar, I met Jason Flum and Dave Felt, and they were the two A&R managers of Atlantic. Right. Atlantic. So that was nice because uh, Jason Flum later signed a Dutch band called Sleazebees. I didn't have anything to do with it, but it was funny. I got to know him that night. And that night they signed uh, Saigon Kick at mm. the club. I was there. But like the show started around midnight, and as me – just uh, flew in that day from Amsterdam. For me, the show started six o'clock in the morning, you know, 6 a.m. Yeah. So that was pretty knackered. I know it. I was really tired. So I didn't like the show that, that much, but maybe that was because I was, you know, six o'clock in the morning, go to the show after traveling for 20 hours or something. Mm. So that wasn't, wasn't, but uh, and then I saw the band uh, more often later and uh, pretty good. I still, I'm still in touch with Jason Beeler, the guitar player, yeah. Yeah. who's going to put out a solo record next month on Frontiers. And I saw some of their reunion shows like two years ago. So, yeah. but it's a band, yeah. At least, yeah, they missed. Uh, I mean, I, I know they had a they had a crooked manager. I know I sent the manager once money for uh, plane tickets to. Uh, to, sorry, to uh, play on the Art Truck Festival. And he just uh, shelved the money in his own pocket. And uh, he came with a lame excuse. No, they have to record a single. They can't come over. I mean, they just had a hit around that time with uh, Love is on the Way, I think. That was their ballad. They had their ballad hit. Mm-hmm. I still have the gold record here on my wall for that one. Um, but uh, they never came, and the manager never paid me the money back, so... Cheeky and that manager, I hear a lot of bands, he owes a lot of bands money. Yeah, you know how I like that is. Warren Wyatt is his name, by the way. Warren. <laughs> Warren Wyatt. W-Y-A-T-T. That yeah, there should cool. be. You know how they have like TripAdvisor and Yelp and things like that, where you can review places, tourist spots and restaurants. They should do that for promoters and managers. Because a lot of bands have uh, tend to have the same thing to say about a lot of promoters and managers. Yeah, yeah there, there's a lot of it. charts there. Well, now now it's more regulated, I think. It's now, I mean, there's still uh, sharks and crooks out there, but they're easier to recognize, you know, because bands so, talk a lot. They have much more uh, contact in between each other, even if they're not touring on Facebook or whatever. They, they, they uh, like there was that one agent, I mean, just a couple of months ago, 
And he said, like, if you want to make it big in America, you know, you have to sleep with me. If they had a female singer. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. I, oh, I, I don't know. It, I mean, it was just a couple of months ago. Yeah, I know who you mean, though. I, I remember this. Yeah, and then other bands have the same uh, experience with that guy or what an asshole he is, and then they all abandon him. Mm. Some bands did it earlier, I think. After Forever and Epica from the Netherlands, they mm-hmm. abandoned him. I don't know his name, but uh, I, I mean, nowadays people, you know, bands are in touch and uh, they, oh, they warn each other of whatever. Yeah, people aren't worried about speaking out these days, which is good, really. No, and they do. They can bands do a lot of stuff themselves now. You know. Yeah, totally. They they they, they record their product on themselves. They pay themselves, so they keep the masters mm-hmm. and. Um, you know, they, they sign deals where they uh, don't give away their music and also their bookings. And, you know, they keep everything uh, on, on their own, which makes it mm. more profitable for the bands and ways to survive. Maybe not in this time of <laughs> of the scene right now. But yeah, um, yeah. Uh, there's a, let's say they cut out a lot of middlemen, let us say that way. And they know where to go to if they want to reach something. It's much you, more easier for the bands now. Having said that, though, do you think it's do you think that a label is valuable these days, in any way, or do yeah. you think there's or do you no. think it's kind of like there's now a threshold which a band needs to meet before it's valuable for a label to get involved? Well, let's say for a starting band, they they, they know they don't know shit. They don't know where to go to, mm. and they don't reach anything anywhere where if they're going to a label, let's say like um, Nuclear Blast, for example, or Napalm or whatever, they instantly have, you know, all the links to the journalists, to everybody who does a web scene. And I mean, it helps. Uh, bands on their own, they can't do everything yet. Mm-hmm. They don't know how publishing works most of the time. You know, if there's a, even, you know, in the early days, Van Halen brothers didn't know how to, what a publishing deal was. Uh, until, you know, the Van Halen brothers went to practice with a, um, a Volkswagen and Sammy Hager came with a Ferrari, you know, you read mm-hmm. it in his book. And he, uh, they, they, they didn't even know around that time what a publishing deal was, and Sammy Hager explained what a publishing deal was. This mm-hmm. was like 10 years into their career. Um, but that's a different, that's a di- another story. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of business side stuff bands don't know yet well if you're starting but bands that already are out there for 10 or 20 years they know uh you know which ropes to pull on and uh, they don't need it anymore i mean metallica has their own you know blackened label or whatever it is yeah i mean they do everything themselves they own the rights to their own songs they bought it back or however that went and uh, so they have everything in their own hand i saw doro I mean, she released, or maybe it's not out yet, but one of these days there's a Precious Diamonds, I think it's called. It's like a triple CD with Mm -hmm. her her best ballads and rockers and whatever, because she owns uh, the rights to all that master. She got it back, and now she can release it herself and makes most of the profit of it. And she's a season. I mean, she came into the scene, what, probably 83 or so. Mm. So... um, well, maybe, maybe even earlier, 82. And they're seasoned veterans now, and they know, you know, where to go. But start for starting bands, they hardly can do it without a label. Okay, they can release it on their own website and put links there where you can download the music for a certain price or 
maybe even prepay for the recordings, but that only helps if you're already a seasoned band and you have a lot of fans, but if you never toured before and you record a album on your own, you know, it's, 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 it's tough because nobody knows you yet. I think a lot of people are starting to compromise as well. They know that making a lot of money in a band is not a very likely scenario. So a lot no. of them, even the best bands who go on tours also have full-time jobs because they kind of, they've got a, a more uh, realistic sort of view of it. But I think that yeah, the- I know. I mean, I'm, I'm at Johnny Lee Middleton who is normally playing around this time in the trans Siberian orchestra and was a mm. bass player, in a band called Sabotage. And um, I mean, he came from tour and then he was installing ACs or laying carpet or whatever, you know, that always struck me that bands that are pretty popular in Europe that could headline festivals, come back home and they go to the regular job. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that, I mean, yeah, they do other bands nowadays. You see, let's say, um, uh, let's see, Miles Kennedy, for example, the singer of Alter Bridge. He also sings with Slash and he puts out solo stuff and he puts it agenda in a way, puts it together that he can tour with the one band. And then after that tour, he records with the other one or tours with the other one. And he's like, you know, 350 days a year, he's busy with his, doing music. Mm. Mark Tremonti from Alterbridge, now we're at Alterbridge, he has his Tremonti, a solo project where he's touring and recording. Yeah. And then you have to flip, um, uh, flip the drummer. He has a band called, uh-oh, um, with the, I have to look it up. I forgot Let's the name go. right now. With the drummer of Seven Dust, he has a band, Projected. I didn't have to look it up. Projected. They they put out like a single and a double album. So they all keep themselves busy doing stuff. So some bands, they they can do it, stay in the music business, but a lot of bands do other stuff too. Or they lend their voice to sing a song on one record of another band or so, or even drumming on some recordings as a studio drummer or giving guitar lessons or whatever, you know, just... My, uh, but there's also people working a regular job and where they can take off free time if they have to tour. I think that my favorite example of the minute is um, is Kyle Thomas from Exorder. Because um, okay. I spoke to him the other week. He obviously had Exorder for the first... Um, for 86 through to, I think, 92. That's when Exorder had their, their reign with Slaughter and the Vatican in 1990 then the law in 92 and then that band dissolved. But the thing is Kyle's only 22 at this point. And then he comes back to Roadrunner in 95 with floodgates, which as you know, as we were sort of alluding to uh, is a bit of that Seattle sound, a bit Alice in Chainsy, a little bit stonery. And um, what he was saying was because he'd already had that experience with X order, he came back with floodgates floodgates as an expert. Like he wasn't taking any shit. No, it's, I mean, I think uh, with the Roadrunner deal, you, he still had to sign away the Masters and things like that. But the advance he got was far more favorable and the treatment he got was far more favorable because he knew what he was doing. Yeah. Older, yeah. wiser. Yeah, man, that's it. And then after Floodgate folded, he just went back to a regular job, even though he was singing for Trouble and Alabama Thunderpussy. Um, he was just do. He was just a regular schmuck, just laying carpets and fitting air conditioning unit. I can't remember what it was. I think he was fitting alarm systems. Uh-huh. electrical components in New Orleans. Yeah. Well, uh, Todd, the singer of Queensryche, he's uh, putting chairs apart and does new letter, you know, makes a new letter around it. I'm not sure what you call it, upholstery or something? Yeah, yeah, what yeah, is? upholstery, that's it. Okay, I don't know what the, what the profession is called. Upholsterer yeah. or, I'm not sure, 
Yeah, 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 yeah. Upholstery. Is it? Okay. Oh, it could be. It could, I think it's not a word I use a lot in metal, so I have to think about that one. <laughs> but that's what he does, you know, or uh, or designing carp- clothes. Carpentry and things like that, yeah. Yeah. Well, well, and well, he doesn't do the wood. He does all uh, oh, okay. the, 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 whatever, the ladder or whatever's on the seat, that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. He makes, he, or he designs clothes, his own stage clothes or whatever. He's, he's doing that kind of stuff. You mentioned uh, Miles Kennedy and Slash. What do you make of Slash's solo stuff? It's good. I like it. I mean, the only thing which is not, not negative, but because they record with uh, Michael Elvis Pesquet in, in the Orlando area, the sounds, also hear that on the latest two Seven Dust records, they're also recorded there uh, at the mm. same studio. Um, Barbarossa studio is called. Um, <clears throat> with, uh, they all tend to sound the same. I mean, I hear a lot of stuff I hear at the Alter Bridge records, I hear at the Slash records, and I hear at the latest two Seven Dust, Seven Dust records. So they have a sort of, sort of sound coming out of that uh, analog studio, mm. uh, and they grow to each other. You know, even the Tremonti stuff sounds like Alter Bridge stuff. Well, I mean, okay, it's not a surprise, but they all sound almost sonically they're uh, a lot alike is that a problem though i'd rather no it's good i mean it's good quality but you hear um the way they're setting things up you can hear that in in uh in in the studio it's really funny yeah Uh, but i like the records they're they're good i mean they're good songwriters slash and i mean they have a lot of good songwriters in that band Mm. um I mean the drummer and the and the bass player. They also put uh, solo records out on their own name, and they write good stuff. Yeah, same sounds. I mean, for Seven Dust, the guitar player um, Clint Clint Lowry, um, mm. he uh, he br- brings more solo stuff out in between Seven Dust records. I mean, he did four albums with Hello Demons Meet Skeletons. Mm. And he has a new solo EP, I think, out just last month or maybe this month. And then he had Dark New Day and he had oh, a lot of bands. He played, he did a lot of projects also with his brother, uh, Corey Lowry, who's, who mm. was or maybe still is bass player in uh, Stuck Mojo. I mean, right, okay. All those, all those band members. As I told you, Seven does the other guitar player. He is with the drummer of uh, Alter Bridge in uh, Projected. Mm-hmm. And then the singer, Lejean, he's also just put out a solo record. So they all keep busy because they, um, they create new music every day. And then now they can do it easy at home. And then they put out a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Are you looking forward to... Um, is new? Yeah, there's going to be some new Guns N' Roses, isn't there? I think. I uh, yeah. Like- I mean, there's already a lot of stuff. Uh, for bands is recorded and I mean okay the ACDC you know that was recorded like two years ago in Vancouver almost yeah. two years ago and that yeah, now yeah. came out I mean the Iron Maiden record is already done a year ago that's they're just sitting on that oh yeah the, it should be out before I mean last summer it should or I mean it's a lot of, like three months ago it had to be they didn't announce it but it's all done mm. they wanted to have it out for the summer tour the festivals they were doing their own shows headlining shows mm. And now they're probably going to do it next year because the the new tour dates are June, July in Europe. I mean, June, July next year. And probably the record comes out then. But it's all done. I'm not sure whether that's a big news for you, but no, it's done. And there's a lot of bands already sitting on finished records. 
and they haven't announced it yet because they're, they're waiting and waiting like everybody is. And, and uh, maybe if we're lucky in half a year time, we have like 6,000 releases per day kind of flying around. Yeah, that'd be good. That'd be good. No, what I like about the Slash stuff, <laughs> what do you think it'd be, it'd be too much for you to write about? Well, actually, I think they're until Christmas, they're in writing mode or recording and writing. Mm. I mean, I should call Elvis in the, in, the, in the Orlando area, see who's in the studio right now. But I think yeah, maybe, they're already, they're, maybe they're already recording. I'm not sure. I, th- I, I haven't heard about, about that, but I know they're, they're, they already written a lot of stuff, but I don't know mm-hmm. if they're already recording. But they will do it with Elvis. I know that. With I think Michael the, the reason I bring it up was um, just because I like the Slash stuff because it's kind of low stakes. You kind of know what you're going to get it, in the same way. It's, it's not like when Chinese Democracy came out and everyone, it was, everyone was holding their breath for it. With Slash, it's just do the tour cycle, do the album, get it out. Everyone kind of knows what's going to, what they're going to, what to expect really. The no Miles Kennedy is going to bring the, his A game. The no Slash is going to bring his A game. So it's I mean, going to really be good, fun. but it's going to be. Really funny with Slash. I mean, okay, Miles told me, you know, the Guns N' Roses thing is such a huge monster. It was just the right timing to it to come back together, you know. I mean, it was one of the most, uh, well, the best sold tours of whatever of the history. The last couple of tours mm-hmm. they did, they made a shitload of money. And there was an answer I when I asked, not I asked Miles, you think Guns N' Roses would have come back together if Slash didn't divorce from his wife a year before? And she took a lot of his money when they divorced like yeah. a year ago. So I said maybe that speeded the process up. I think. I remember the settlement was massive, but I guess maybe she, maybe he just settled for a lump sum instead of a monthly payment. Maybe that was it. Speculating, but maybe. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. That's probably. I mean, no. But uh, I know when he got divorced and had to pay a lot of money. Uh, that's I think that it sped up the p- process. Maybe what ignited the fire f- um, faster than maybe if he wasn't had the divorce. Let's say it that way. I think he never. Yeah, I, mean, I never, never dared to ask Slash, of course. But I I'm mean, sure. it proved the success of the tours proved how everybody was waiting for this band to go on tour again with the right lineup. Kinda, no, it's not the official yeah, yeah, yeah. lineup. I mean, some people got excluded from the tour and they weren't happy about it. But Steven Adler, for example, a drummer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, coming back to like the early nineties, then when is Artshock in partnership with Metal Hammer at this point? Uh, beginning of nineteen ninety, yes, but. The German publisher, um, he had a deal with a new... I mean, he went broke in... In 88, he went broke. Metal Hammer Germany uh, was bankrupt, sorry. Metal Hammer Germany was bankrupt in 85. No, sorry, in... in sorry, in 88, 88. Don't get me wrong, in 1980. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 80. Hold on, let me think. Hold on, 80. I have to count back now. Let's say 1990. I'm not sure the timeline is not that important. Um, and then he had to sell them. I mean, not because of the magazine was doing, but the uh, the owner of the magazine, Jürgen Riegenhaus, 
invested in a lot of other stuff, buying publishing rights. I think he had something to do with the, the Doro or the Warlock stuff because there were a lot of ads mm -hmm. of that artist in the magazine, more than normally a record company would do. I don't know. But he uh, invested in stuff that didn't really flourish, and he mm -hmm. went broke and had to sell the magazine to J the Jürgen Marquardt Gruppe, which was based in Munich. I think they're in Berlin now or back to Munich. I don't know. But they did Cosmopolitan mm -hmm. and Playboy and Playgirl. And they had, it's huge. They have like 150 magazines. And they got the rights sure. of Metal Hammer Germany. And um, what the, uh, and Jürgen had a deal for five years with uh, to do it that mm -hmm. way with that new publisher. He didn't have the rights to the German magazine anymore, but he had a deal to work with them together for the next five years. So they were based in Munich. And um, um, at that time, a huge uh, lump of money for making a magazine came of making lithos, you know, the colored films to print. You know, if you have a magazine, you have okay, uh, yeah, yeah. the films. Uh, yeah, I, I, it's hard to say. I mean, this is... No digital yet, okay? It's not digital yet. So you have yeah, to yeah, go yeah. to somewhere, somebody who has a color picture and has it in four films. The, 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 let's say the, um, uh, the red, blue, and, and yellow. And to, you know, to get all those films, magenta, cyan, and mm -hmm. black, and uh, whatever. Um, and it's a lot, it uh, takes, it's the most expensive, it's almost more expensive than the printing itself to have your films made. Yeah. Um, and he used the films for the German deal. Um, let's say he copied them to use them also for all the foreign issues like Metal Hammer UK, the Netherlands one, the Greece one, the Polish one, the Spanish mm -hmm. one. For all the Metal Hammer issues, he used, he let the other German who he sold the company to pay for the Litos and then he used it for all the other countries and only had to change... An, a fifth film, a black film with the language, with the text. Right. So you had okay. all the magazines had the same layout, but only mm -hmm. changed the black film, which was holding the the text. Yeah. So uh, instead of four films, they had an extra black fifth film. But the German uh, guy who owned, who bought the comp uh, the company, Metal Hammer, he found out, of course, that he's paying for all the litos, and he's just using them to fill the other magazines. So right. he, so that may that um, so the the German magazine had a lot of problems to get a magazine. They changed the name, or the guy who did we worked with together changed the name of the magazine, some some ways. And Metal Hammer found new people to do Metal Hammer without him. So I only had to deal with the old owner of Metal Hammer, not with the new publisher in Munich. So we had. And so many points, a breach of contract with the contract I had with the Germans. Mm -hmm. And our, uh, how should I say, the magazines that should be in the store at a certain point didn't make it because he had financial, the, guy, the German guy had financial problems because he didn't get the help from Munich anymore to produce the stuff on their cost. He couldn't mm -hmm. pay for it anymore. So magazines came out too late. And um, and I was um, depending on the stuff he was delivering, but he couldn't deliver oh, yeah. it anymore because he lost the deal with, uh, you know, he fucked up the deal with the other people in Germany. <laughs> so um, then I said, you know, I can't work with you anymore because uh, I can't get my stuff 
from the printer anymore because you don't pay the printer. So I had to, and, and then in 93, I left, uh, we, we cut the deal and I just went back to doing art chuck on my own. Right. Okay. So that's how we uh, got away from Metal Hammer. Yeah. So that's good. Be totally yeah, no, independent. Totally. Nobody has to say what to print or not. I had my freedom yeah, back. It's, um, we were talking earlier about the sort of the trends that Roadrunner was sticking with. So there was when Monty arrived, there was Thrash. In your days, there was quite a lot of, a bit of everything in terms of metal. There was a bit of new wave of British heavy metal, a bit of, a bit of glam, not a lot. Well, but, a lot of noise coming out of uh, Morris Sound. I mean, I'm not yeah. talking about Crimson Glory and uh, Iced Earth and stuff, but uh, the, the Scott Burns guy, he uh, was like question, controlled yeah. uh, noisy X in the area. I mean, okay, obituary was really good, but uh, there was also a lot of uh, not so good bands putting their product out just, and they all went, you know, to Scott Burns to have it produced by him at the Morris Sound Studios. Mm. And uh, so there was a lot of shit coming from there as well. A lot of <laughs> mediocre releases as well. I wouldn't name any names right now, but it was also a lot of stuff that wasn't good enough to, let's say, Roadrunner standards as it used to be. Yeah, I'm, I won't names either, but I won't name names either. But I was going to say, what did you take to that death metal bit? Because it was like it was very formative of that sound of that era, and, re- and obviously Roadrunner was very responsible for that. Yep. Um, but a lot of those bands are one and done in terms of Roadrunner. There's just like one album done, and then they're dropped. So presumably, that's speaking to what you're saying there. They weren't exactly up to scratch. But it's, um, I think Scott Burns is an interesting character. I mind speaking to him at some point because he just dropped it all and went off to become a computer programmer, even though he... Well, he was that before even. I mean, I, I, I met him for, for... Personally, I never met him before. Cause, I mean, I've mm-hmm. been to Morrison a couple of times, but always with Jim or Tom Morris when he was producing bands uh, and when Dan Johnson was working there. And uh, Mark Prater, who uh, did a lot of for the drum sound there. And Mark Prater was the drummer of Auto Drive, one of the glamier bands I've talked to you before I can give I can send you Scott Burns phone number I have it somewhere on my phone because he lives in um, Indian Rocks Beach uh, which is in between let's say Clearwater Beach and uh, St. Petersburg he lives Mm -hmm. there I met him um, maybe yeah two years ago at the beer tasting of the new obituary blood orange beer. <laughs> it was really good beer. It was a tasting in Tampa at the Cigar Brewery, I think it's called Cigar uh, it's really Brewery, where obituary had their. There's like a local club there called uh oh, um, uh oh shit. Well, there's a club in Tampa where a lot of men I, I saw last year, or actually in January, I saw Death Angel play there. Um, the Brass Monk, it's called, the club. And right. on tap, they have obituary beers, like three different obituary beers on tap there. And it's produced in Tampa at the Cigar mm-hmm. Brewery. And there was a beer tasting of a new beer they had. So I went down there. And there I met Scott Burns. So I know where he lives now. And he's still doing computer stuff, but he's not producing anymore. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Well, I just, I just wonder why. Because it's, it's, I must, it must be quite a compelling lifestyle, especially if, especially if you are the guy. You know what I mean? If you're the guy that's producing that sound, which is, you know, somewhat lucrative, it's uh-huh. quite brave of him to walk away from it. But um, now I was just trying to find. There's one thing that this podcast is doing. We're going to try and 
Uh, we're going to do a beer tournament of all the beer that's branded by bands. Um, and oh. that, that company, um, a cigar something, as, as you say, I just can't remember cigar what Cigar Brewery in Tampa. I think it's called Cigar Brewery. I don't have the yeah. t-shirt lying around no, here. It's, but it's, it's cool, but it just like, I just went, oh, there's something there. But, Blood so, Orange, a really good one. I like that one. I don't think it's in, in I don't think they're brewing it anymore. Um, or at least no, maybe I, they, I they just make like 500 gallon uh, a batch of 500 gallon when it's gone you know it's done mm. I think that's how it works a victory blood orange oh blood soaked beer by Cigar City yeah okay that's, that's it. it that's it yeah yeah and I think either yeah when I was doing my research for this it's either been retired because it's a seasonal one as you've said um, or it's pretty, just not available it was nice yeah yeah I've, the ones we've got lined up the ones that are going to be competing against each other just for your information um trooper bastards lager road crew obviously the motorhead and iron maiden ones mastodon black tone behemoth profanum behemoth sacrum megadeth yeah, I, I actually i uh, finished a bottle of sacrum yesterday it's really nice but i yeah. like the one the darker one i'm not sure what the i mean i had with a nergal i had a beer tasting at summer breeze festival yeah uh, last year, they had a beer tasting of all the uh, of all the behemoth beers. They had like mm. six different kinds there. Yeah, I like the Sacrum. I, I, actually, yeah, I finished a bottle yesterday. Somebody sent it to me, but I like the the darker one as well. I'm not sure what the name of that one was, but that was really really nice. I can only get t- hold of two in this country. Okay, um, there's a Tudelamon by Megadeth. Metallica have one called Enter Night. Um, Cradle of Filth have one called Countess. Okay. Uh, Player have 666 red ale beer and then ACDC have premium beer. And those are the ones that we're, over the next few months we're going to try and get to compete against each other. But it was just I, I have probably about 80 bottles of wines of man, you know, wines. Uh, probably have some beer. Let me grab here. Yeah. Let's see what I have here. I mean, ACDC, mm. what, Scorpions. Oh, wow. What is this? That's Trooper, true. yeah. Trooper, Motorhead, Bastards. Yep, that's a nice one. It's a nice beer. I had that yesterday too. Yeah. That's on brand. I, I have a lot of the wines, the metal wines. A guy um, has a company in Düsseldorf. Uh, a friend of mine. It's called Metal and Wine. Mm-hmm. So whenever I go there, I I return home with boxes full of wines and beers. <laughs> That's the distribution for Europe for all, a lot of those. Right. Okay. And Metal on wine. Yeah, I think it's a company's called Metal on Wine. Okay. Dot com. Whatever. You check it out. Yeah. Yeah. I'll have a look. Awesome. Michael Sprenkelmeyer, I think his name is. Mm. So you didn't take you didn't take to the um, the death metal sound as as a whole. You were kind of like you you cherry pick the good stuff. Um, Is that yeah, fair to say? you could say that because because a lot of the stuff was sounding the same coming out of more sound. It wasn't so interesting anymore. It did well. Mm. It didn't. The interest didn't keep that long. Yeah. Yeah. Did you take Kelly to death? As in death, uh, Chuck Schillinger? Sure, I'm, I met him a couple of times at More Sound actually. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and the drummer, what's his name? Uh, Steve? No. Uh, uh oh, the drummer who's now in Testament too. Um, uh oh, fuck. Let's have a look. Gene, Gene Hoglan. That's it, Gene Hoglan. Gene yeah, Hoglan's been I, fucking everywhere, hasn't he? 
Yeah, well, he's in Testament. He did a lot of he, DTA, Death to All. He was in that one as well. Mm. And, uh, yeah, I see him all the time. But I met him and Chuck at Morrisound at one time. I, I went over there. Yeah, yeah. Did, uh, what's Jim Morris up to these days? Is, he, is Morrisound still even a thing, or is that closed down? Well, okay, the studio, um, I'm not sure exactly the timeline, but two years ago, well, a few things happened at the same time. There was a break-in in the studio, mm-hmm. and a lot of gear got stolen. Mm-hmm. And they found they arrested guys somewhere, I think, in Indiana or Tennessee in a warehouse where all the stuff was still there. So mm-hmm. he got a lot of his stuff back. But uh, the studio was bought by um, uh, Paul O'Neill of Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Cause, oh, okay. Because, uh, let's say, um, um, their main writer, John Oliva, he lives like a... 90-minute drive from the studio mm-hmm. in uh, Spring Hill. And um, he was recording there a lot. You had the, the guitar player, Kurt Vanderhoof. I think he was from the house guy for TSO West for a while. And he was producing stuff for uh, Trans-Siberian Orchestra there. So at a certain time, um, Paul O'Neill, the producer or whatever, the, the, the boss of TSO, bought the studio. Mm-hmm. So they, so the the Morris brothers sold the studio, but they have built a new one in oh. uh, in Tampa, not not too far away from where the old one was, maybe uh, thirty blocks away in Tampa. They built a new one. I haven't seen it yet, but it's done. Uh, and uh, when I was there, I was in Florida in January last time, and I just didn't have time to uh, set up. You know, to to meet them back there. The, so there is a Morrisound studio again. Right. They, rebuilt. So, they have a new one. It is called Morrisound. The as well. road is called Slay. It's off 275, Highway 275 in Tampa. And there's a road called S L A E G H. Slay, mm-hmm. I think it's called. And there, the studio is in, on that corner or in that area. You know a lot about. Um... Florida. I have a feeling you go there quite often. Well, I know a lot about a lot of America, but I like Florida in the winter time. Yeah, yeah, same here. The, well, winter time between brackets, and then it's easier to hop on the seventy thousand tons of metal cruise. I've been to all ten of them, <laughs> and uh, awesome. I'm one of the sponsors or media partners, whatever you call it. Oh wow! So I, didn't know that. I go to Florida on vacation, and then I hop on the cruise, and then I fly back to Europe. Well, not coming year. I mean, the cruises won't happen until, whatever, mm. April next year. There's no cruises, so there's no 70,000 tons. They haven't announced that it won't happen, but as long as the cruise line's already, you know, announced, like um, Carnival Cruise Line, and there's a couple other ones. Jubilee, yeah. I think, I'm not sure. They announced that they're not cruising until April, so if they're not cruising, the Royal Caribbean, who does 70,000 tons, won't cruise either. It's a bucket list item of mine to do um, one That's of one of the mountains. My favorite party of the year. Yeah, it's it's really good. The atmosphere. It's like a. It's almost like a high school reunion of metal hats, kind of. Well, maybe Sweet. I'll see you on one one day. You will. You will. I'll be there. <laughs> if it ha- if it starts happening again. Well, that's interesting. I've just gone to the Morrisound website, uh, and they were saying it's the third generation of studio, and it looks really smart. I haven't seen it yet. Do I have a website? But is it what's the road? Were they on Slay or not? Uh, let's Does it say? They may be putting on an address there because at the uh, at the old one on fifty sixth street and uh what's yeah. it called? The road Fletcher or Fowler. 
It's in between Fletcher and Fowler on mm. 56th was the old studio. They had a lot of just fans showing up at the door and maybe yeah. they don't, they don't uh, have the address there anymore. They don't want to deal with that. Side. But I don't know where it is. I can give you directions whenever you fly into Tampa. <laughs> yeah. I know where it is, but I haven't been to the new one yet. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I might even reach out to Jim Morris for a comment on the, the death metal stuff. Cause it's a bit of a, it's not a blind spot. One of the interesting things about this project is, because my point of entry with Roadrunner is <clears throat> the I, kind of your Mike Gitter era. So it's, it's kill switch engage and trivium. Those trivium ascendancy was like my, I used to be like a, I made my favorite band Metallica's up there, ACDC. And it was all that stuff. And then when I heard ascendancy, that was when I just sort of broke into this, this, all the dirty sort of like metalcore underground stuff, that and Lama God and things like that. So I'm working my way back and I'm, and learning all these awesome bands, and it's been absolutely. Those Trivium guys—they all live in there in the area. Yeah, yeah, they all I live. Mean, I think, I, Winter I Gardens. See, uh, well, uh, Corey, Corey, what's his name? Bullio, whatever. Some, yeah, uh, something like that. I'll be, uh, I, I, I bump into. I mean, when I'm in Florida, I go to Orlando to the House of Blues because there's a lot of cool shows, metal shows there, mm. and uh, I bump into him all the time in Orlando. So he probably lives in Orlando, and. Um, Matt Heafy, I'm not sure what he's still. He used to be in the Tampa area, or maybe I'm not sure what he's still there. But he used to be there too. I don't know yeah. where the other guys lives, but I, I used to bump into those, especially Corey, all the time. Have you seen the uh, they've bought an aircraft hangar? Um, I don't know where they've bought a hangar because the, because they're all streaming now. Every every day, or every one of those uh, member of that band is doing like a, a two hour, three hour stream where they're just practicing for tours and they're just doing stuff. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. I saw some of those uh, things where he's uh, explaining how to play certain songs or riffs. But he's mainly, mainly playing, uh, I'm not sure what it's called, Tank Wars or whatever. He's like making more money playing gaming. computer games yeah. with his gaming than uh, with... He makes more money with gaming than uh, with uh, Trivium. I am so... I wouldn't expect you to comment on this in any way because this is just something that I'm wondering. So we were talking earlier about the 360 deal Roadrunner has. And you can, you have... Roadrunner has the rights to everything, all the performing rights, blah, 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 blah. So Matt, hey, he, he spends a lot of his time playing Trivium songs on these streams as well as the video games. But he's making a revenue from that. So you'll be making revenue from the music. He'll be making revenue from the gaming as well. But as far as the paycheck, he'll be getting it some money from Twitch, and that's the streaming platform. So does Roadrunner? I wouldn't. This is, again, this is not a question. This is just like a, to me is just I'm wondering. Does Roadrunner pop its head around the door and say, "Hey, Matt, you know the the 40 minutes of music you played, we're gonna take, we're gonna take that portion of what you made that day because that's that's part of the content. That's part of the deal. I, I wonder if it, it extends to the streaming stuff. I that's think- all. Uh, back in the day when they signed the record deal, that kind of stuff wasn't even included in the deal because the record yeah. company didn't know that were computer games kind of. Yeah. So maybe it's a loophole in the in the contract where he can do it and make more money than he does with the contractual stuff with the record label. Yeah, when I was speaking to um, Takis from Realm, we were talking about how the Realm albums aren't on Spotify. And uh, he was stating the same thing. Like when they signed the contract, it's down to the performing rights and the intellectual property. It doesn't necessarily go into the streaming rights. So who knows where, where it should be, especially for those older legacy recordings. Yeah, I really don't know. I don't know. I mean, all that stuff wasn't, I mean, it was, it didn't exist even around that time when they, most of the bands signed their record deal. So, yeah. Mm. So I don't know. I really don't know. 
So in the 90s, we've had the death metal period. There's this wonderful sort of expansion in Roadrunner um, in the mid-90s where they, they reach out and they start getting alternative acts and um, things are a little bit, little bit left of field. But people sometimes refer to the 90s as when metal was kind of like dying a death. Do you agree with that? Yeah, because a lot of bands didn't, you know. I mean, with the grunge stuff, all the other bands, metal wasn't cool. I mean, for me it was, but for the general population on the, of this world, mm. they weren't interested in that anymore. And then after that, I mean, everything went, you know, I mean, Metallica was fighting Napster and kind of they tried to protect, which is almost for free now, you know, music mm. is a free item now and Metallica. So, I mean, the, the Metallica guys saw it earlier than, than we saw it. Everybody, you know, was kind of mad at them because they were suing Napster, but now there's other, they're not called Napster anymore, but they're called like, for example, Spotify or per played song you get, I don't know how many numbers after the comma, <laughs> 0. 0.0000136 or something. Mm, mm. Um, you know, you see huge bands and they get, let's say, a royalty check for 13 bucks or something, you know, yeah, for crazy. a whole year. For it's crazy. Yeah, so the, I'm, not, I'm not happy with Spotify because, you know, it kills the way bands make music. And they have to make their music now with touring, so concert tickets, you know, the, the prices have quadrupled since when music was a free item and you know they bands tried to make their money in another way a t-shirt is not 10 bucks anymore no. a t-shirt starts with 50 bucks and concert tickets also where where you, a 10 dollar concert ticket now is 50 dollar concert ticket at least on mainland europe do you still get live nation and ticketmaster they sell you the ticket for say 50 bucks or something and then they say and there's going to be a 20 dollar admin fee yeah, well, well I think it's seven bucks or something. And if the concert is canceled, you get the money of your ticket back, but not the reserving money, the way you mm. reserve the, 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 let's say the bookkeeping money, or you, you call it the, uh, you know, the handling money. You don't get that back. You only get the money of your ticket back. So that's, mm. uh, that's a nice scam going there. Yeah, I mean, I'm interested to see what's going to happen over the next few months because one, there was a, I think it was a leaked memo or something like that where, Live Nation was saying um, they were going to have a right to withhold 20% or something like that, a, a fixed amount of the artist's fee. for a, That was like when the pandemic first hit, that was one of the first things that came out. Um, and obviously that it's never been tried or tested because no gig has happened. But yeah, I imagine most of the bands were like, fuck that noise. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the shitty thing is that you get your money back probably somewhere in the, in the small print if the concert is canceled. So no concerts or tours or festivals get canceled. They mm. get just uh, rescheduled. So everybody's rescheduling, but you know, half of the shows of the, or those festivals never will happen. Mm. But people mm. are fucked anyway, financially. Totally. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you yeah. have to, the promoter of certain festivals ask the fans to, to donate their ticket money to you know, stay alive to keep the festival alive. I can understand that, mm. but where the ticket bureaus, I don't know. Uh, there's uh, a shady game they're playing. Um, yeah, I don't know how this will end. Um, my hope is that my hope is that those titans and those dinosaurs will die, and then the the admin will have to hand over to the smaller companies, and the middleman will die as a result. 
And hopefully that $20, $25 admin fee can fuck right off as well. But we'll, uh, we'll have to just see what happens, I think. Yeah, the, 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 the problem is people are still buying a shitload of tickets, you know. If everybody would say, I don't want to buy a ticket anymore. I just order it direct via the band or whatever. You know, if a band has a, an output, buy the tickets for that show at the band and not through the, a promoter. Mm-hmm. So the bands get the money, you know, they, they maybe they can cut out a certain middleman or ticket bureau. I mm-hmm. mean, there's ticket bureaus. I mean, there's some law, some suits going on where a certain show is sold out, but immediately at a different ticket, uh, ticketing office, you can buy hundreds of tickets for double the price. Mm-hmm. And then you see it's the same companies who sold out before are the people behind it, you know, so... Uh, Oh, the touts. We call them the touts over in the UK. Yeah. Well, I mean, so that's happening as well. So, the, you know, there yeah. has to be uh, some laws against that kind of stuff. And then maybe, maybe uh, it's all from, from um, obviously Iron Maiden management. He, um, I think he started either like a, not a political, not a company, but a kind of a foundation to, to try and lobby the government into stopping t- ticket touting and things like that. I can't remember what it is. I think it might be called something like the Ticket Holders Alliance or something like that. But that's interesting. To stop people paying hundreds of the dollars for maiden tickets and then selling them on for thousands, I guess. But uh, I mean, I saw, I saw, I mean, there's all, all kind of, I mean, I saw it like at the Paradiso and the Milky Way in Amsterdam. If you weren't, were buying a ticket for a show at the door, you had to buy a sort of a membership fee for three bucks mm-hmm. to get in on, on top of your, uh, so you're, let's say it's it's a um, subscription for that club for a month, and they only do maybe one show a month. So every mm. time, you know, people the 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 the, the club owner will say, "Well, we th- sold thousand tickets, so here's your thousand times whatever percentage, and you get this." But the three bucks they ask you extra at the door that goes directly into the club. The, the band club, yeah. doesn't see that. Yeah. So there's, there was, I'm not sure whether they still do that, but there's all that kind of shady stuff I don't like. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm in the uh, lucky position where I just call a band member to put me on the guest list. So yeah. I haven't paid for a ticket for a long time. The only re- time when I buy a ticket is if it's uh, the show is for a good cause. So all the proceeds go to a certain whatever cancer fund or whatever, or if it's a starting band that really needs the door money to get paid for that show. Yeah. You know, like starting bands, then I'll pay my, t- I don't want a free ticket and I'll pay for the ticket. Mm-hmm. But for all the, you know, the other big ones, you know, I'll just call the band and they put me on the guest list. Yeah. Yeah. One so of the advantages of being doing this for 40 years, maybe. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> uh, again, you're in the middle of that spider web. Um, well, moving towards the end of the '90s, when Slipknot came out, yeah, when I was when I was um, when I was I was a lot younger and I was super into Iron Maiden. So the aesthetic, that rotten aesthetic of maggots and dead things, it was kind of like death metal had the same kind of aesthetic, but it was kind of cartoony in a way. It was yeah, almost well, a fantasy. But Slipknot, well, commercial were... a commercial death metal band, kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what was your take on Slipknot at the time? Was it kind of jarring? No, I didn't. I didn't like the first record. I think there was only one song on the first one I liked. Um, uh oh, now you're gonna ask me which one? I I don't know right now. But there was one That's song cool. I liked really, and but I I I, I didn't fancy them uh, at that time. I mean, nowadays 
I mean, the later years, I mean, Slipknot, their music becomes a cross between Slipknot and what they did with Stone Sour. Mm. I mean, it became much more melody into their music and much more structured than just... Yeah, I liked it. I liked the uh, the, la- the last five records more, let's say, than the first two or three. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Have you, then, uh, but what well, I loved the band uh, for a different reason, because uh, the metal scene has been almost the same. Like in the early days, uh, fans became metal fans, uh, or music lovers became metal fans because of Kiss because they liked how they looked with the mask and the show. Yeah. And later, because it was cool and you liked Metallica. But then the last 10 years, there weren't any new bands which draw a new crowd into the metal scene. Every year, the average age of the metal scene was like one year older. And with Slipknot, you got a lot of people drawn back or becoming a metal fan because they liked how the guys looked with the masks or whatever. So... Mm-hmm. Slipknot was good for the metal scene because you draw a new crowd in. Yeah. That's their, their biggest achievement, I think. That's my, that's my thoughts on Five Finger Death Punch. I don't like them, but I think if they get kids into metal, that's cool. You know what I mean? It's cool, yeah. Although every song they, they do is the same. Yeah, it's all... I, mean, I heard all, one... All songs are the same. I mean, put on a record. I, I'll play you three songs of three different records. It sound, they all sound the same. I mean... It's a good band. I like him. I saw him a lot live, but uh, it's not surprise musically. It's not so surprising what will be on the next record, and that count. I mean, that counts for a lot of bands. I mean, ACDC, they haven't reinvented the ACDC wheel. They just sound like ACDC, mm. and Holbeat sounds the same on every record. And I mean, there's a lot of bands that just keep on copying what they do. That's okay, but it's not my uh, cup of tea. Yeah, I mean, uh, with with things like with Volby and with um, uh, ACDC and things, I guess like if they're the archetype of a particular sound, like ACDC effectively invented like pub rock in that sense, you can kind of get away with it. But I think Five Finger Death Puncher, they're a particular niche and they're almost, there's an alignment that's almost, it's almost political. It's very American and it's very sort of 2005, six, like Iraq war sort of, it's, that's kind of their, that's kind of their aesthetic to me. I think I heard one song which said, Oorah, which is like a Marine thing. And I was like, turn it off. I'm fucking sick of this. <laughs> <laughs> Not having that. Not in my house. But um, I gotta say, if it gets kids into metal, it's cool, man. Yeah. And um, a lot of rednecks too. I saw that at the, some of those shows. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe because <laughs> of the Ruha. what do you reckon of of Nickelback because Nickelback kind of had when I was researching them I thought they were quite interesting because um, there you've got as we were saying you've got a smart guy like at the time Chad Kroger had his own production company so he was savvy when he joined Roadrunner very savvy and I think he managed to get a very good deal out of of the deal he made with Roadrunner and a lot of his stuff came out in Canada on his label effectively which was kind of unheard of considering Case's reputation for taking all the IP and taking pretty much the biggest slice of the pie. I was really interested to see that there was some concession there when um, I think it's silver side up came out. Well, maybe, maybe they just licensed the music from the band and didn't sign the band. Maybe, Mm. maybe we have to ask uh, Mr. Berman how that deal got together. Yeah. I plan on reaching out to him if, um, if he's got time for me. Um, 
because that, that sounds an interesting sound as well. You've got Nickelback, Theory of a Dead Man, Blackstone Cherry, that, all the bands that Ron touched are very kind of like, <clears throat> I don't know how I describe it. I, it's kind of modern, po- it's modern hard rock, really. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of derived Robot. from the post. Yeah, yeah, it, Robot it, as well. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's like it's derived from that post grungy mm-hmm. kind of sound. And I think it's, my girlfriend likes it anyway. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, I went. I went to some Nickelback show, and eighty percent is chicks. There's only yeah. one show where I saw more chicks at in my whole life. Um, little story. I'm gonna finish now because I have to go away now. That's but, cool. Uh, I was at the photo shoot of Last Rocket with a photographer in LA called Niels Lozauer, mm-hmm. and he did a. I mean, he had. He was the main photographer of Van Halen, for example. But yeah. Neil has a studio on really on Hollywood and Vine, the corner of Hollywood and Vine. Fine, he has a well back then. I have to guess eighty three, maybe or yeah. Well, no, what's later? Eighty six, maybe. He has a photo studio there, and Lost Rocket had a shoot inside. But I didn't want to hang with the shoot, so I went outside, just sitting in front of the the building, mm-hmm. and Rod Smallwood walked by. You know, the manager of Iron Maiden walked yeah. on the street just passing me. He said, what the fuck are you doing here, Mr. Smallwood? He says, I'm going to, uh, I'm not sure whether it was Palladium or Palace. There's a club just around the corner. Mm-hmm. And he was checking out a band around the corner. I said, okay, what band are you going to check out? Poison, he said. I never heard of Poison. What kind of band is it? Yeah, I'm going to check him out, blah, blah. You want to come along? I said, sure. So I came in there and the sound guy, the crew... Rod and me were the only male, well, and, and the band members were the only male people in the audience. It was a club, maybe 2,000 people in there, mm-hmm. all for the poison. And we're all beautiful models, kind of, you know. Where, <laughs> that was yeah, really yeah. funny. So that was like 90, 99% of the crowd was female. Mm. So that was a, 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 a different experience, let's say. That. <laughs> and I was at the Poison show. I never... Never heard of the band at that time, but Rod Smallwood took me in there. Well, we've come all the way around because um, who signed Poison? Steve Ricardo from. Um, oh, did he? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, to the first, I can't remember what the first his first label was called out on the west coast. But when he worked there before he worked at Roadrunner, he signed Poison there. Okay, funny. Okay, the circle's round. We can say goodbye now. Yeah. yeah. If you have any questions, you know we always can do a part three, but there's so um, much stuff. I've got a couple around, but I think we've, we've cut it off nicely at the 21st century. I think we've done quite well there. Um, I've, I've got a couple around sort of the metalcore era and um, when Roadrunner was bought out, but I think we should save this for a part three, maybe after Christmas. Sure, no problem. You know where to find me. Yeah, man. Yeah. Okay. Talk to you later, man. Thanks, man. Thanks again. Yeah. All the best. Bye. Email. Have a good one.